Um, let me, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for using us as your hands and feet. But God, we cannot give anyone anything that you have not given us first. And so we pray that as we open up your word, that your spirit would fill us with your love, that we might be able to in turn be light in a world of darkness, be present with you and with those around us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is on page one in your pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, open up the one in front of you. If you have your own, it should also be on page one. We're all on page one today um, because we are in the first book, the book of Genesis, chapter one, beginning at verse one. And you want to have it open because we're going to actually climb our way all the way through chapter three, but we're only going to read the first two verses here to start. God's word, Genesis chapter one, beginning at verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we're, we're starting a new sermon series, and this series is going to actually carry us straight through to Christmas. And I have to be honest, when I, was, when I was preparing for this back in October, I was wondering if this might be a little early to be talking about Christmas. But then the freezing temperatures and snow came. <laughs> I don't have any hesitation. We're all thinking it. Everybody's wondering, is it, is it time to start playing Christmas music? I don't think it is, just personally, not till after Thanksgiving. That's the camp I'm in, but I don't want to start a fight. So we'll just move on. But there is a reason, right? There's, there's a reason why Christmas trees are sold by the stores alongside Halloween costumes. We all complain about it, but the holidays come up fast. And of course, the stores have a different motivation. They want to get us ready to buy things. But, but there's actually something more important that we should all be prepared for as we approach the holidays, and that's presence. Now, I don't mean presence with a T. I mean presence with a C. It's more valuable than any gift you can give or receive. And I mean that even financially speaking. How many of you are going to fly or drive this season to be with loved ones? Show of hands. Okay, some of you, you will find, and if you have done this in the past, it is the most expensive time of the year to fly. If you're out on the roads, you'll be in the midst of thousands of your closest friends, and the gas prices will change accordingly. Or maybe this year is the first year that you are going to be alone for the holidays. And so it's the absence of that loved one that's going to speak louder than words to the value of their presence. And then, of course, you've got all those Christmas movies. Is there anybody here who's into the Hallmark Christmas movies. There's a couple of ladies at the last service. No shame. Just put their hands straight up. Now, you, I, I, I don't know what this is. I don't know if it's a guy-girl thing. I don't know. But don't they all have the same plot? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Even those of you that love them, you're like, I know. That's what I, it's all romance followed by presence, right? It's being present with those they love. And then I think about even outside of that, like the, the, the Home Alone series, remember that one? I mean, is that not just a story about a family wanting to be present with their child before he really hurts somebody? <laughs> like, like it's, it's all about 
presence. And, and, and the truth is presence and our desire for presence actually comes from God. That's why we're doing this series. It's, it's his presence that is the gift that we're going to celebrate here and in, in not too long on Christmas. Emmanuel means God with us. And it's the greatest gift God gives us, but it's also the greatest gift we can give one another. And so we're going to trace the Bible, and we're going to jump around, not jump around, we're going to go in order, and, and we're going to talk about several places in Scripture that lead up to Christmas through the lens of God's presence. And so that that's being said, it's, it's fitting that we would start on page 1, chapter 1 of the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Now, in the, in the book of Genesis, it was written by Moses to outline the ancient Israel origin of life story, the origin of the created world. And so we begin again with our reading in verses 1 and 2. It says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters before anything was created. The world was formless and empty, and God's presence was hovering over the waters. Now, I love the story of creation because it is so deep and, and, and laden with imagery and symbolism. And we see one right here. Water is, is such a deep symbol throughout the story of God. It represents the root of life itself. Like when we're out looking at other planets and sending drones and those kinds of things, the thing we look for is water because it's the building blocks of life. But it's also the depth of water that causes what we see is this image of chaos in an unformed world. I mean, just think about the picture here. It's, it's a surface that is a never-ending ocean. There's no sun. There's no moon. It's just water. It's one of the most powerless feelings you can have to look out over Lake Michigan or out over the ocean and see nothing in the midst of total darkness. See, water has the ability to, to have the qualities that are needed to bring life, but on the other hand, it can kill you. It's indiscriminate, and that makes it dangerous. I, I shared two months ago, um, Alyssa and I, we had our, our basement flood, and, um, and it was just the sump pump. The sump pump failed. We got to fix it. That's in the grand scheme of things. I talked to a lot of you who had issues far worse than us, but I, I found the funniest thing about it was that our sump pump failed, and do you know the driest part of our basement was right around the sump pump pit? <laughs> There was no water around the sump pump pit. You know where it decided to come up? I couldn't figure it out. It came up on the other side of the basement. It came up under the one place we had carpet. It came up all these random places without any logic in order, haphazardly, because that's what water does. See, that's water, and at the very beginning of creation, that's all that existed. It was water, and on the surface of the water, Genesis says that the very presence of God is what brings order, that the very presence of God is what brings order. God's presence hovering over the water, he called out with words and brought order to the unordered world. The unformed world was divided by God's presence into light and darkness. 
into land and sea, into sky and ground, into plants and stars, into sun and moon and living creatures. And then, of course, the crown of his creation, humanity. And then Genesis chapters 2 and 3 zero in on that humanity and show us that God made man and woman as in his likeness and image and specifically gives each of us the ability to bring order or disorder based on presence. And so I want you to have that in your mind as we kind of climb through these passages. In, in chapter 2, verse 8, we'll jump to that. In Genesis 2, 8, we read, now, God, the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden. Now, at this point, it's only Adam, right? There's no Eve yet. And, and it says that there he put the man that he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. And they were trees that were pleasing to the eye, and they were good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what we need to know here at this point is that Adam has been placed in the perfect spot. It's the perfect spot. He has everything at his fingertips. All of creation, what God has created for him. He's in the middle of it all. And it says, if we jump to verse 15, it says, The Lord God put the man in the middle of the Garden of Eden, heaven on earth, and he put him there to work it and to care for it. Not work it like it's hard, but work it like it's fulfilling, like he's doing what he was created to do. And the Lord God commanded the man, he said, you are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, we pause there because we see that the man can have everything in the world at his fingertips, but if he's alone, it's still not good. It's not good. He, he's got it all, but it's not good for the man to be alone. And so, so man is alone, and, and God is the provider of all things. What does God get Adam? Well, he actually gets him a few pets, <laughs> You take a look here. That's what happens next. Verse 19. I'm not kidding. It says this. It says, the, the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I point that out not just to make a bad joke. But I pointed out, thank you for the pity laugh, wherever that came from. I pointed out because here we have in the story, Adam is identified as being alone, and yet we don't jump to the solution yet because that's often how life works, isn't it? We try to fill the void in our lives with other things first. Other things in this world, even good things. You know, for you, maybe you pick a hobby or you change jobs or you buy a new car. For Adam, it was naming every living creature. <laughs> but I think it's worth pausing as we, as we look ahead and we're still in the beginning of November and ask ourselves, what are my tendencies? Like, what is it that I'm going to tend to reach toward to fill the void of loneliness in my life this season? Is it, is it pumpkin spice coffee? <laughs> Is it too much turkey? Is it obsessive Black Friday shopping? Now, see, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Coffee's great. Pumpkin makes it better, arguably. 
Turkey is good. Getting good deals on the Christmas presents you're going to buy, that's a wonderful thing. All of those things are. You know what? There was also nothing wrong with Adam naming the animals. The, the point that the author is making and the point that I want to point out here is that it just wasn't enough to fill the void inside of him. It wasn't enough. And, and, and so we see the reason why it wasn't enough in a minute when we see that void finally be filled. In, in chapter 2, verse 21, the Lord God caused Adam to fall asleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up that place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. The second thing that we learn about presence from this passage is that presence requires sacrifice. Real presence requires sacrifice. Notice that before Eve, Adam had everything. He had everything. He lived in the Garden of Eden. He did not need Black Friday because everything was his. It was all around him. He could just take it except for that one tree. Every animal was his pet. He even got to name them. There was Sparky the lion and Joe the elephant and Marty the hippo and Thirsty the mosquito. No, that's, that's the big question we all want to know, right? Like, why, when you had the chance to name it, God brought them all. That's cool, that's cool. Why didn't you go, bam, right? But you named it, it's still here. I don't know. Questions we'll never know, I don't think. He could eat from the tree of life. Like, what more could you possibly want? Well, he did want something more. He wanted presence. Presence with another human being. And, and, and for reasons that maybe we can't even fully comprehend, that wasn't something that God was prepared to give Adam without Adam giving something of himself first. For him, it was a rib. And, and that's another lesson that I wonder early on here as we're just getting into this season that maybe we should be asking ourselves as well. See, because the truth is God can't give you the gift of presence without you giving something of yourself first as well. Maybe it, it'll be those of you that are traveling. It'll be hard-earned vacation days. And hard-earned money for an overpriced plane ticket that for you is worth it to be present with a family member. Maybe, maybe it's going to be reducing your spending this season so that you're not overwhelmed with debt and therefore not present with those around you. Or maybe it's going to cost you a rib, a rib torn out of your pride as you swallow it and come back home this season. For others, yet presence might be choosing to be in one place at the expense of being someplace else. And, and I don't know what that means for you, quite frankly. I don't know yet fully what that means for me either, which is why we're asking the question today, before things get too crazy and out of control, what sacrifice this season is God calling you to make to be present? Because presence brings order, and I know there's places in all of our lives that we need order. And presence is going to require sacrifice. It required it of Adam, it's going to require it of you. But the third thing we're going to learn here is that presence involves being before doing. It's about being before doing. Because the truth is, if I stop my sermon right here, you're not going to be able to take it all the way. 
You're not going to be able to take it all the way. Presence can bring order, and you can even sacrifice to the point where you are sitting in the same room with somebody else, and you're still not present. And if you need me to illustrate that, let me just take out something. (laughs) How many of us are guilty of this? How many of us have experienced being in the same room with somebody in body while we're not in the same room in mind or in spirit? And if you think that, oh, no, that's not my problem. I'm not all over my phone. Those are the young people, right? Like, if that's your frame of mind, this is actually as old as humanity itself. It's the same thing the serpent tried to get Adam and Eve to do and succeeded. Listen to this. In in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Adam and Eve are formed now they're here they're in the garden and it says this it says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the lord god had made and he said to the woman did god really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent you may eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden but god did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden don't touch it or you will die You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, wait a minute. If you're perceptive, you're picking up on this already, that God created Adam and Eve in his likeness and image. They're already like God. This isn't about being like God. This is about being God. There's a difference. And it's the same thing I said before. It's the same thing we do with our phones, right? Like social media. What is social media sold to us to do? It is to make a connection between us and other people because God has put that void inside of us to be present. And so we're sold on these devices that that we will connect with one another, but too often what ends up happening is it tears us apart because it allows us to control the version of ourselves that other people see. And last time I checked, the definition of that is God. (laughs) And the problem with doing it is that if you only show people certain parts of your life and not other parts, you don't have presence because that's not really who you are. And so you lose the presence of being with those around you. And then the the worst part about it is oftentimes while we're curating our false selves on this device, we're doing it in the living room with the people that we really were designed to be with in the first place but before you feel too guilty it looks so good (laughs) doesn't it i'd much rather play on this than eat an apple (laughs) and it looked really good to adam and eve too it says this when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing for the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it and the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves they hid behind something 
For them, it was leaves. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to notice something here. God is not disputing in the midst of this that the fruit from that tree tasted good. It did taste good. And he's not going to argue that by eating it, they gained wisdom and knowledge. God created the tree. That was its purpose. After all, all of those things are True, just like when you reach for too much turkey or pumpkin spice or whatever it might be, there's going to be something that's delicious in that moment. But the problem is that for all of the things that fruit was good for, none of it outweighed the thing that it was bad for. And we're going to see what that was. Verse 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of that cool day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he asked the question. Ask this out loud with me, would you? Where are you? I was convicted by that when I was reading it just this morning when I was going through my message. You know why? Because as a parent, when my kids do something wrong, and I walk into the room, and I can sense that something's off. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You know the first question I ask of them? It's not, where are you? It's, what did you do? <laughs> we often think about God that way, don't we? I did something wrong. I'm guilty. I didn't follow the rules. Uh, but, but notice here the heart of God in that beautiful question is not about what you did wrong. It's about the consequences of what you did wrong. Because of what you did wrong, you're afraid now. And because you're afraid now, you and I can no longer be present. And what God wants to know is where are you? And Adam answers and says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. See, being like God is different than trying to be God. And trying to be God is the very thing that prevented Adam and Eve from being able to be with God or be like God at all. And not only were they no longer able to be in his presence, but we're going to see that they're not able to be in the presence of each other either. See, that's the definition of sin. Oftentimes we think of fundamental Christianity as just making sure that we do all the right things. But the, the problem is, and I've got a good mentor that reminds me of this over and over again. When I start to go a little bit too far into guilt and a little bit too far away from grace, he always tells me sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks relationships. God isn't saying, what did you do? God is saying, where are you? I wanted to be with you. I created all of this so that we could be together for all of eternity. Where are you? And not only does the sin break the relationship with God, but it breaks their relationship between the two of them. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman. You can laugh. The woman put you here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Never mind that it was Adam who was alone in the first place. Never mind that it was Adam who would give a rib in sacrifice to create Eve. And now Adam would rather go through major rib surgery than admit that he's wrong. <laughs> but no one here has ever had that problem, have you? <laughs> Jesus put it this way, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so I think it's fitting for us, it certainly is for me to ask these questions of ourselves in prayer. Number one, presence brings order. Do you want order in your life this year? Are you like the disciples in in the Gospel of Matthew when they were out on the boat and there's this storm and it's water, right? And his voice, his voice called out in his presence called out calm on the surface of the water, the wind stopped. What in your life are you desiring the presence of God to bring order and peace to in you? Well, presence is going to require sacrifice. Presence requires sacrifice. And so you've got to ask yourself, not just where do you want it, but what are you willing to give up for it? Is it money? Is it time? Is it pride? Is it your rib? Presence brings order, and it's going to require sacrifice, and it involves being before doing. Presence involves being before doing, and so what are you going to put down so that you might be present with God and others? See, we begin here because this is the beginning of the story, not the end. God is going to do these very things for us and we're going to celebrate those with candlelight (laughs) and with great joy on Christmas Eve as we remember that not only does the presence of God bring order, that not only does the presence require sacrifice, but Jesus would not just give a rib, he would give his entire life so that once again you and I might be present with God and be present with the people around us. And so would you just pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that all the way in the beginning of time, this this brokenness that calls us to be less than our true selves, to be less than present with you and with others, the mistakes that we make that break our relationships, God, that that you had a plan set in motion from the very beginning that you would accomplish the things that were required to bring us back to you by coming to us. But you also call us to model our own lives after yours, and so, God, we pray that you would show us what area in my life needs order this year. May I invite your presence into it? What do I need to sacrifice in the midst of this busy, chaotic season, God, that I might be present with you and be present with others? How might I focus on being before doing? Because your real question to us is, where are you? And there's no way we could find you, and that's why on Christmas... You came to find us. And as we open our eyes, we remember that 30-some years after the baby in the manger, you would be a grown man who would die on a cross, who would be present not just in life, but that would be present in death. And on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it and you said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And for all people, for the forgiveness of sins, whenever you eat this, remember me. 
After the supper, you took the cup of blessing. You gave thanks, and you gave it for all to drink, saying, Take and drink this cup. It's the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. For as often as we eat from this bread and as often as we drink from this cup, as Christians in the Lutheran tradition, we, we call it real presence. What it means is that we believe that, that Jesus is really with us when we come around this table because of the sacrifice that he made that these elements represent. And that is, that is a promise and that is an invitation to all people, regardless of your background. No matter who you are, where you've been or where you're going, God is calling out to you, where are you? And if you hear his voice, then he's calling you to come come to the table. And the way that we prepare our hearts for that is by closing our eyes. If you know the words, if you don't, they're on the screen. Opening up our hands is a physical sign of surrender and praying the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Come. Come to the